The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the joys of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover It's a Wonderful World, our game of the week, discuss playing versus building a collection in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games from 2022, We Still Want to Play. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? What's happening, Doug? Well, I just got yelled at for yelling, so I'll try to bring my yeah. volume down at an appropriate yeah. level, but <laughs> I would like to welcome all of our new and returning listeners. Welcome, friends. Yeah, for those of you that have just finished listening to our last episode. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you started two days ago, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, welcome to, to the Game Schooler Podcast. Uh, really happy that you're here. He's Doug. I'm Michael. And we're going to talk about some games tonight. All right. You said you had some follow-up. Yeah, I do. Uh, some listeners of the podcast wondered, asked, asked a question, what skills can be developed from Dice Throne and Dice Throne Adventures? And it was about a 12-minute conversation. And so I'm going to try to boil that down. But I realized that's one thing that we didn't cover as in-depth as we, we typically do. So I'll just mm. quickly say... Uh, for me, it's decision-making, and we define that as a game that allows players to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. So players are always making decisions in any dice thrown game. And then the other, if for, for a player, is that sense of direct personal agency. So I gave you our definition of decision-making. Well, a very smart guy named Bandura, you know, one of your good friends, said all oh, the way sure, back yeah. in 2001, mm-hmm. uh, to be an agent is to intentionally make things happen by one's actions. So throwing the dice and playing cards, and we talked all about that in in episode uh, 101, but just that that payoff that feels awesome, I think those are the skills that, that can uh, build in the Dice Throne series. And well, then, and certainly yeah. risk management yeah. is, a, is another big one where you're deciding whether to keep dice or re-roll dice or settle for what you have um, and kind of chasing after that that bigger bigger attack and chasing your ultimate. There's a lot of interesting risk management that comes into that that place. Yeah, and I did listen to our segment, The Speed of the Game is the other thing I just wanted to emphasize to our listeners. If you're playing in a battle, a versus mode, because we talked a lot about adventures, right? And the, like almost the different levels of dice throwing adventures where you're battling a boss or going through a dungeon. But if you're just head-to-head taking on a character, that's a 20-minute game. The components are great. It does. It requires very very little setup. You just shuffle a few cards and you're playing. So just wanted to wrap up on, on last week's uh, well, and we bit, we week. bit off yeah. quite a bit with the, with that whole system and and unit. Hopefully, this this week's game will be a little bit more yeah, tidy. Yeah, um, we went we went big. We we did because we big. didn't want to go home. Two hours and twenty minutes. People <laughs> run marathons in less time than our our episode last week, Doug. I could not run a marathon. I could not run a marathon in that time. <laughs> two, two days for me. I don't probably. know if I could drive a marathon in that time. <laughs> but anyway, so just to wrap up before we get into what's awesome with gaming. All right. So uh, for those of you that didn't la- listen last week, we've got a, a new- Shame on you. Yeah, kind of opening. Say, now, you used to yell at me for, 
for harassing our listeners. Now, you would here you scream go. shame into the mic. Oh, shame. For shame. <laughs> um, we, we, we're mixing up our, our opening segment here, and we want to talk about what's awesome in gaming. Uh, and so that kind of gives us an opportunity to talk about anything that pops into our, our brains. And the one that I've got written down here, which I think you'll I'm, – I'm hoping you'll lead into this, but I want to applaud you for the board game club oh, no. that you run at school because I wish something like that existed when I was younger. You know, the only thing that kind of existed was the idea of a chess club, which was like, you were a super nerd if you were on the chess club. Yeah. No judgments now. That was just the, the then, prevail, then. prevailing dear, sentiment dear then. Dear chess listeners, <laughs> please retract your two-star rating of our podcast. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been a, a joy and a lot of learning. Um, I'll jump in with what's great about it. You know, I talked to you this week about, do you think I can teach Seven Wonders and get it played in an hour because there, I, I knew there were going to be six to seven sixth grade boys that were coming in that are on fire with games. And so I had it set up. I got there early. And then a, a, a listener of the podcast brought in a game that he got from you, of all mm. people, of all people <laughs> in the world, he got from you. And he didn't know that you and I know each other and that I'm the co-host of the Game Schooler podcast, but it was War Chest. Mm. And, and so... Just had a wonderful experience. I'm getting a lot more out than I'm giving, other than my one copy of Dinosaur Tea Party that is trashed. I'll have to replace that at some point. (laughs) No, but I am getting so much more out of that hour every other week. Um, I mean, if I would have thought, told myself six months ago, you're going to get to play games with awesome kids and and you're going to learn new games, actually stumbled through the rules for. Um, War Chest, and it's the same design team behind the Undaunted Undaunted series. And the thing about playing games with with youth, especially since they're not my own children, there's a patience there with the teaching that I don't get my regular game group. If yeah. I'm playing games with you, and you Dan, better you better learn and, the game and, now. And Dan Cunningham, <laughs> our, our our friend who's a game designer and who has developed games and develops inserts for games. You guys have your own shorthand, and I have to be ready to decode. <laughs> it's like speaking another language. But just being able to play new games and play games with kids, uh, it's not all been wonderful. I mean, there's some bumps along the way. I, I made the mistake of taking a, a game that was a gift for my uh, middle child in, mm. and the box got damaged a little bit. Now, fortunately, Margaret's not a collector of games, so she'll be okay. But just some of those learning pieces, and I don't mean like – a, a, a fuzzy corner. I mean, like the box got smashed, like Amazon dropped it at our front door. And, like like and Amazon's dropped, regular shipping. Dropped the people's elbow on it. Shipping practices. Um, but I don't, I shouldn't just jump in on that. But we're learning, right? So yeah. for some, some kids do have a check-in, check-out policy. So we know that things come come back and um, that well, well, it, it's all I, good, man. That's why I went on Noble Night right now to look up how much Dinosaur Tea Party costs just just to, to make sure you're not digging a hole there but it's still available it's still Good. you can still no, get it new and and that, but that's I talked about this when it first started I'm okay with that the games that I'm taking I want them to get played yeah right and so at the end of a school year if I need to replace two copies of games that that's a successful yeah that's gonna, program that's, you know what I mean they they are consumable that's part of the Part of the process of of doing that and and um, introducing games yep. to to kids and and things like that. So 
Yeah, so no, thank you. And I'm just glad the kids are showing up and playing games and it's starting to grow. And, and we're actually starting to outgrow our classroom space. So we're going to be looking at different spaces and places. And the school's been great to work with. Uh, so if anyone has questions, you can drop us an email about that. Um, I'm going to bump some of my What's Awesome stuff into next week because I'm glad that you really um, brought that up. And uh, I'm learning a lot, and I look forward to keeping that programming going. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about was this kind of a, a flip, but we often lament about the number of games that come out a year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, trying to play all of them, uh, acquire all of them. But I wanted to talk about how great that that variety Ooh. is. Because I had an opportunity to play some games with my brother this weekend and uh, his daughter. And he's not, he enjoys playing games, but he is not a gamer. And the idea that I can go through my collection and that there are games that are fast, there mm. are games that are themes that he would enjoy. Um, you know, we played a Star Wars game and, and uh, a couple other smaller 30 minutes or under games. Uh, a Mar we played Marvel Remix. And so the fact that you can pick and choose and cater to the group that you're playing with, your friends and family, I think that's one of the awesome things about the hobby that you would not have if you did not have 3,000 games coming out a year. Right. And so as much as that for a, a content creator or reviewer, it's frustrating of like, uh, there's always something coming out, there's something coming out. There is a hidden benefit of that that I think when you're listening to, to YouTubers and um, people online, that that kind of comes across as like, yeah, we get it. There's a lot of games. And it's like, but there is a benefit of that. No, that's a good point because not every game is going to fit every person or, or, or circumstance or time. And player, yeah. player count matters and experience with games matters. So that, that's, a, that's an excellent point. What um, what brought you to that what, as as a, as a benefit and not not a burden? Because when we've talked about number of games getting released, we often talk about we we need to win the lottery so that we can just play <laughs> games all the time, right? So, what brought you to to that as being a benefit? Um, it was uh, a comment by my brother on the idea of knowing him well enough to know what that like all three of the games that we played were hits for him. Cool. You know, Very and so cool. knowing him and then knowing, uh, having a broad enough knowledge and availability of that many games to say, he would like this, he would like this, he would like this. That's awesome. You know, low rules overhead. You know, and then depending on, like, if I were just going down there and playing with my niece, then I might pick, pick a heavier game. Sure. You know, and something that's like, yeah, this is going to be a two and a half hour monster. It's going to have a lot of narrative, and we're going to have a blast doing it. Yeah. Um, and those are two completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're both available. Oh, which that's is, great. Which is really cool. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think when we get into our high five list, there aren't many family games on my list because family games get played. Mm -hmm. And that's the other nice thing about that variety. Um, there, there's a lot of opportunities to play if you're playing games with your, your friends and family. That's cool. Um, and you got anything else you want to talk about? No, or just, just the other thing that I was thinking about with uh, the board game club, the other benefit that, that I didn't know was going to happen are there are little game groups that are forming. Mm. And since different people show up each Monday that we have it, uh, it's nice to see students include 
kids include other kids. It's yeah. just, you know, so my, my experience as a, as a middle school principal, um, you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And right now in Board Game Club, I'm seeing a lot of good, yeah. a lot of people just being extremely welcoming. And I think that's the type of culture that gaming brings. Uh, it, I, at least that's been my experience is people have been very, very welcoming. The first convention I ever went to, I was nervous. I'm not going to fit in. I, I And people have just always said, sit down, and, and there's a patience to teaching and learning a game that I, I think is great. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I've got is <laughs> Michael and I have a, a new opportunity for somebody um, that is passionate about our show. Michael and I kind of fit this podcast in in our, our free time, but we want to make it grow. We want to make it bigger. We've dabbled in, in different formats and things like that. We're trying to consolidate and get on a path that works for us. However, that means we don't have a lot of time to do social media and promote what we're actually doing. And so we're- Or interest, if yeah, I'm just yes. owning my own. Yes, yeah. carry on, sorry. Um, no, that's a, a great, great fill in there. So- um, we are looking for somebody. The pay is horrible, as in mm, nothing. It's similar there, to our salaries. <laughs> there is no pay. Um, but we're looking for somebody that is excited about what we're doing and wants to help spread the word about what we're doing um, and help us out. So if this is something that you're interested in or you think that you would be a, a great fit for, let us know. Reach out to us. Email at gameschooler.com. Is there anything else you want to well, add to that? You may be able to make up your own title. So if you need an internship, this could be an internship. If you need to be a social media ambassador, evangelist, th th we can create that title for you. So although <laughs> the, the pay isn't great, we're, we're looking for somebody who can help to fill out our, our social media channels and um, just make a little bit more of a presence out there in a way that we know we need to if we want to get this podcast to reach more listeners. Uh, we, we have a very, very passionate and involved um, fan base that reaches out primarily through email right now because that's how Doug and I prefer to communicate when we're not podcasting. But that's not where the rest of the world goes to communicate all the time. So we know there's a lot of talent out there. We know that um, people are always looking to help, and that's where we're at. Yeah, and it's not necessarily entirely limited to the idea of social media. If you've got ideas on how you can help us grow and reach more people, we'd love to hear from you um, as we're trying to uh, spread the word about the podcast. So contact us with any, um, you know, if you want have more questions or you, you know, you think you'd be a good fit, let us know. Email at gameschooler.com. Otherwise, if you have any other questions or comments about anything else on the show, reach out to us there as well. And um, I think before this turns into a, another two-hour episode, let's move on to the, the game of the week. The game of the week. The game of the week is an in-depth look at a family-friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week's game is It's a Wonderful World by Lucky Duck. Doug, give us the stats. All right. It's a Wonderful World, published in 2019. The designer is Frederick Gerard. The art is by Anthony Wolfe. One to five players. 30 to 60 minutes game time. 60 seems long. I don't think it, it uh, would ever uh, go that long, but... Mm. Yeah, uh, you're you're dis you think it goes the full sixty? I guess maybe depending on player count, but 
um, and thought processing. But I digress. Um, (laughs) Ages 14 plus, according to the publisher, 10 plus, according to Board Game Geek. I'm going to split the middle and call it a solid 12. Why doesn't Board Game Geek just say 3 plus? (laughs) Like, if you can walk, you can play it. 10 plus? Come on. Okay, keep going. Right. You're you're good with that. 12 is probably. Yeah, 12 is where it's at. Yep. And the the complexity rating, which Board Game Geeks calls the weight of the game, is a 2.3 out of 5. Um, so, It's a Wonderful World is a card drafting and engine building game for one to five players. Each round, players will draft seven cards and then choose which ones will be recycled to immediately re- acquire resources and which ones will be kept for construction to produce resources each round or gain victory points. Uh, when a card, so those cards are being constructed, and when a card is fully built, it's added to the player's empire to increase the player's production cap- capacity for each round. The mechanical twist being that the production phase works in a specific order. You'll have to plan your constru- constructions carefully. So this is a drafting game. Uh, sorry, just reaching out for the rules. Make sure I got the terminology right. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a drafting game similar to Sushi Go or... Uh, seven wonders in which you start with a hand of cards you're going to pick one and then pass it around the table and then draw from the new hand that you get and so on until you have seven cards the game plays over four rounds once you have acquired all seven of those cards you are going to look at them some of them you can save for to be built as constructions some of them you're going to discard and immediately get the resources they call it recycling yeah, and there are one, two, three, four, five different types of resources um, represented by translucent cubes that are in the game. So you can discard a card, and maybe you'll get a gray, gray cube for recycling that and getting rid of it. The other one, you might say, I'm going to save this and try and build it. Each building has a set of requirements, a certain number of colored cubes that are required to complete that construction. Once it's constructed, it's going to give you a a lot of times a one-time bonus and then a production bonus. Yep. And the way that the production works is that you go in in kind of a color order. So you're going to start where all of the white cubes are going to be produced first. So any buildings that you have that produce white cubes, you'll gain cubes for that. You can immediately spend those cubes on other buildings that you have under construction, which is where the cool part comes in because if I complete a building in the first phase where we get those white cubes and that building that I construct gives me a bonus for Such the black Such as the cube, yellow or the black, like, yep. That very next section when we now go into that that part, I'm going to get another black cube because I finished that building. And it feels like such a wonderful bonus, people. It yep. really does. So the way that you can chain those together as the game goes on so that you're getting this card starting with this and building up so that by the time you get to the blue cubes you're getting more than you originally wanted or i need to get this one so it gives me an extra blue cube or green cube because i needed to build the building that gives me another yellow cube and so you can see how that train kind of works um at the end of the four rounds you're going to get victory points from uh your cards there's cards, um, development cards with scoring bonuses on the bottom. Um, there are also financiers and generals. They're little tokens you can acquire throughout the game. Um, and, so they were, and you also pick those up as end-of-round bonuses if you have the most resources um, of that type and variety. Yep. Where the other interesting uh, rule with 
It's a Wonderful World is when you produce the resource, you have to play it right away on your yeah. card or you can save up a certain number of them and they act as a wild resource. Yeah, you can you can get 5 of them on your empire card, which yep. is your your starting card gives you a little bit of a a variety from player to player. Where that's so interesting is when you make the decision about do I trash this card to get a, a resource that I need for another card, or do I build this in the construction phase so that I can just store some resources in case I come across them? Yeah. So you, there's all those little decision points within the game that players make. Yeah, you definitely don't want to waste. It's a it's a game that record, rewards efficiency and effectively using uh, your assets. So what are some of the, the things that you like about this I, one? I love the game flow and the strategy. I absolutely love the tactical decision point of choosing to build a card or recycle it for a resource. Those are, if I had to pick the three things that I love about it, there is a flow and a rhythm to this game with the card passing. There's enough interaction where I'm looking at my neighbors next to me and thinking about what they could possibly be choosing. And, and so that's that that little bit of a strategy of having to plan ahead more than one turn. And then the de the tactical decision of what is my best option right now in order to set me up for success. As the cards start to go down in, within the round and I get fewer and fewer cards, that decision tends to escalate. Yeah. I mean, I love I love that you can have a, a starting the starting empire card so everybody can start out a little bit different. I love what you said, that round flow, um, because it's a step-by-step -step process that makes the game very easy to get into Yeah, because you can kind of handhold as you go. And after one complete round, I think most people kind of get the idea of, of everything that's happening in the game. Um, I like, for what you said, I, I, I think it's great that it has tactical thinking and it has strategic thinking. Right. You know, that tactical is happening in the round of, should I take this card? Should I take that card? Should I do this? But the strategic thinking happens once you have your seven cards, and it's like you're kind of setting up for your whole round and trying to figure out, okay, if this fires off at this point, will I then have that cube to use over here to finish this yeah, one? If I finish this card, I'm going to get an additional two cubes, which I can then place. Yeah, yeah. where am I going to yeah. where am I going to place yeah, them? Exactly. And trying to do that, so I like that there is both of those components that kind of scratch different itches while yeah. I'm playing it. Is the the tactical, and then getting into all right now? I just get to hunker down on my own thing and it's also one too where you're building this engine but it's not like other engine building games that i don't really care for where everybody at the table is kind of building their own thing mm. and it gets to a point and you're like oh yeah i get 500 of those and you're like how did that happen and like everybody's just <laughs> you doing, had you had three now yeah. now you're at 500 you're, what'd you do over there you know everybody's kind of doing your own thing and it's like i feel like i'm you know, playing by myself. And yeah, did you, you can do really see. And this one, because it goes step by step, it's like, all right, you've got three, so you're getting that. And, you know, yeah. so it's a little bit more focused and not necessarily um, people operating in a corner mm. just doing what they, you know, to the left to their own devices, I guess. That's really good. I, there are two other things that I absolutely love about this game. One is adding a new or different player completely changes how a game evolves. So when we first played this game, uh, you and myself and another person in our game group played it a few weeks in a row. 
And then the next time I played it with four people who were playing it for the first time, and it was just such a different game. Yeah. And I think playing it at two players. So that's why when you said 60 minutes, and I said, yeah, because if you're playing for the first time with four people and they're set up and teaching and putting away with all the little bits, that that can take an hour. Sure. Uh, but if you're playing this with a group of people and they know how to play, you can get it done in 30 minutes. This can be yeah. a lunchtime game. This can be an after-school program game. Very little downtime is the other thing. Yeah. Two of the things that I, I really like is um, that it's a simple – like the, the two-player rules are simple. Yes. You know, it's not, yes. it's not a separate – thing of like oh you got to have this dummy player drafting or whatever it's fairly straightforward you just the only difference is that you're drawing 10 cards at the beginning of each round you still only draft seven you just have kind of a bigger variety to pick from um but that leads me to the other part which is the setup of this game is really easy because there is only one deck of development cards so unlike something like seven wonders where you have different eras and ages that you have to separate the decks and this is only for four player count and this is for six player count this is like you just shuffle all the cards together there's 150 cards you shuffle them together you're ready to go and one of the things i like about that is that right out of the gate you are potentially getting a very powerful end game card yes that you can draft early and say all right i'm building towards I'm gonna this. Build this in the third or fourth round because i need those points on it you know yeah. and and it kind of gives you a direction all in one game without you know it's like normally a card like that would only show up in the third or fourth round yep. when you can you can build it this one gives you that focus for the long term for the whole game it's like now i have a direction to go after um, I really like the the art. Yeah, I, I don't know if we, can we jump jump there. Yeah, the art and how everything is themed. You talked about the five different resources. There's materials, energy, science, gold, and exploration. The colors are vibrant. The iconography is great, and the the theming of the cards with each of those resources it, it's just really well done. Yeah, and the components are cool. They work really well. Um, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about it. I feel like this is a step-up level. If we were ever to do oh, a, yeah. a game that is life after Seven Wonders, I think the... the or Sushi Go. I mean, yeah, either I th- one of those, this game will probably come into both of those. Well, I think Sushi Go is, is your basic starter yep. drafting game. It just teaches you about the concept. Seven Wonders takes that to a, another level where it's like more of different combinations that are going together instead of just like, okay, you collected a bunch of red cards, so you get more points, which is kind of how Sushi Go is. It's, uh, you know, the more you get of this, the more points you're going to score type of thing. And so Seven Wonders adds some components, but then there's this game, which adds a whole nother level of card interaction with each other. You know, so not only are you drafting, but then trying to figure out that engine building and the resource management. You don't really have that in Seven Wonders, and this just adds a another chunk on top of it um, without being overwhelming. Not overwhelming. It's not overly mean, but there is a competitive tension in It's a Wonderful World that I think draws me to this game, maybe more so than other players, because of the ability to be able to draft a card. Uh, just to keep you from drafting it, there are several terms out there to, yeah. to succinctly uh, describe what or define what I just described. Just to get that one resource, I do love that 
that matching of what is my neighbor to my left and my right? What what are they trying to do, and how can I prevent that while also playing offense? So you can yeah. play offense and defense in in this game in a, in a way that with other drafting games, I feel like it will. If I try, I'll speak for me. If I try to think through a drafting game like that, it can be disastrous. But in It's a Wonderful World, there there it is at a higher end from some of the games that we have um, recommended in the past, but it, it's perfect for this gamer over here. Yeah. Um, the only concern I have is the idea of don't make this somebody's first drafting game. I, I have that in my notes as well. You know, I think this is not one that you uh, you pull out of the garage with. You start with something like like Sushi Go or Seven Wonders just to get used to the, the concept before you add that extra layer on. Any other? Well, I have an unless for that. Unless... Unless you are a family that is playing Catan, that is playing Wingspan, and has one of those quintessential games, and you're looking, let's add another title. It's a Wonderful World is perfect, and if you're doing that, here's my suggestion, folks. I have two of them. Play the first round of the game completely open through that construction phase, then redeal and start over. You will have only wasted 12 to 15 minutes. People will have an understanding of it. There's not going to be that general gotcha. It's okay. Now we see how everything works. Now we see how that order of operations works for the resources firing off. And if you are that type of family, go to the Dollar Tree or Family Dollar, Dollar General, whatever dollar name store you have. Buy those beautiful little lightweight plastic containers to store your bits and resources. And that's a trick I got from you. Because then the setup and the cleanup yeah. is completely cut down. It's one, okay, we're going to get this out, put the resources down, let's play. Truly, from t- sending a kid down to the basement or going to get the game to playing, you're five minutes. It, yeah, it's, if that. Yeah. So that that's the only thing that I think families or, or educators should be aware of if they're trying to fit this into their, their library collection. Yeah, I mean, I think this, this uh, game fits great with a, a game group or clubs, family game night. Um, it's one that gets more interesting after each play. So I don't know yeah. uh, how well this would work necessarily in a classroom or just sitting on a library shelf. You've got to have people that have already played it and want to play it. Um, it's, and the playtime bumps past some of that indoor recess time or even yeah. just that right before bedtime. Uh, our past featured game of the week with similar complexity levels would be like a Raccoon Tycoon. Uh, those games also have a resource understanding skill development area where you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how everything works together. That Board Game Geek has that game at a weight of 2.1, and this is a 2.3, but I think they're very similar. Whereas if we recommended that game and if you've played it, this would be one where you should definitely also feel comfortable about being able to learn and teach it. But it's a unique game in how it ramps up. I mean, yeah. that production, when you go into that third and fourth round and all of a sudden you have all those cubes and it's, like, well, I can't really place them on cards, so I guess I'm going to get two wild ones because I have these 10 leftover cubes, which happens to me. Now, you're a much more efficient <laughs> human and they're all placed nicely on your card and you're feeling very good and shaking your shoulders. And I'm over here thinking that I'm awesome because I have a big stack of cubes that gives me two wilds. But uh, just a unique game that way and how it does ramp up in a very short period of time. Yeah, I'm just going to throw this out here. I made some notes um, of 
I'm not going to go through definitions, but I wrote down some skills that I think that are highlighted in this game and, and where they come into. Did you want me to speed the read the definitions or no, just let you talk and you take the airspace? How are we doing this? A little bit new flow. Yeah, I'm just going to, I don't think we need to do the definitions. Um, so uh, I think that there's risk management in this game when you're drafting. Do I take that? Will it be there when I, I need it? And then that idea of, should I take this to block Michael from just trashing it for a, a cube that he may want, that type of thing. We talked about strategic thinking when you're planning out your whole round with your cards after you've drafted them. There's tactical thinking when you're picking the cards, picking the cards at the right time, maybe pivoting because you didn't know that card was even in the draft pool. Yep. Um, and maybe I'm going to build that one. Um, the uh, There's comprehension in this. Trying That's to, what I had. Trying to understand how the rounds and structure works of the game and the different symbols and um, basically the, the arc of the game and learning that process. And lastly, that resource management, um, how and when to use your cards. The game you know, is built around resource is, management. Are you going to use this as a, as a resource? Are you going to try and build this? If you are building it, where are you going to get the resources from to build it? Yeah. Um, and trying to do that without wasting a whole bunch of, of resources in the process. So and I think most drafting games that we recommend also have a level of personal responsibility in there. Mm -hmm. Because you are giving cards away, you know, so there's the risk, but yeah. you also have to take responsibility for your actions. Yeah, that's really good. All right. Anything else before we put no, a bow on it? Just that this is one of our favorite games. If we yeah. had a if we had a game school or hall of fame, I think for both of us we'd put it in there. I believe it was on both of our top ten lists. Uh, it's been on several high five lists, and, and I'm glad that we're getting to talk to our listeners about it. If you see us out and about, or if we're at a convention and you have a copy of this, don't be surprised if Doug or I don't race to the table to get that fourth <laughs> or fifth spot to play it. Uh, just a great game. All right, so that is it's a wonderful world from Lucky Duck games. Uh, let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and once in a while, tangentially related to education. This week, we'll be talking about playing a collection versus building a collection. Well, this is a loaded topic. It's actually something that you and I talk about quite a bit. Probably too is, much. Is the idea of, I guess, the the overarching question, and we're gonna I'm gonna try and put ourselves into a whole bunch of different gamers shoes in this categories segment. labels um but the the ultimate question is like why do people hold on to games you know is it uh, where is that line between building a collection or curating a collection and playing those games and michael and i both have games that are sitting on our shelves that aren't getting played um for one reason or another or maybe they've been played once or we're married, we have children, you know, we so have there's pets, a, there's a we lot, have jobs, there's a, we go to church. A lot of reasons. So the, the big question, is it okay for a title to sit on your shelf and not get played? Are you asking me a direct question? I am. Um, I, 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 that's not one that I can give a yes or no to, yeah. it, to, to for how long. So I became very aware in about middle October 2022 
that my collection was at a point where something needed to change. I was out of space. And I was talking about it on the podcast frequently from about... Do we need to start a Gamers Anonymous? No, 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 no. From Because I've made some changes from 2019 I meant, I meant to 2022. Oh, we might. Yeah, get a little 12 by 12 going. Uh, not a Calyx, folks, but some steps and traditions to get you to get your collection down to a reasonable size. Um but I, I went through a huge acquiring phase, and I think this is very common in this hobby. You play a game that's awesome, you want to play more awesome, and that next thing you know, you look up and you have 100 titles in your house that have never been played, and the question suddenly becomes, when am I ever going to play that? Yeah. And that that's the, the, the question. Yeah, um, I th- well, and I think there's there's so many nuances to this discussion of I, I think there is a a moment and I, I was in that phase at one point too where it's like whenever a buddy brought over a game and you played it and was like, oh that was really good. I'm a, I need to own that myself. Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes a thing of like, but if I only play with that group, right, do I need to have a copy of it? And in some cases there is the element of a collection. If people have collections, like my mom has a gigantic collection of cookbooks. That doesn't mean she reads every one of them all the time, you know, or is baking something from every book a, a day. Like there, and there are collections of uh, statues and figurines and things that people have that you literally do nothing with. You look yeah. at them, and we don't, you know, people don't have a problem with that. So where does that line go from? I have this, this piece of art that somebody created with all of the artwork and the components and it's sitting on the shelf and it's not getting played is that okay yeah i i guess i am not going to address and touch the is it okay and add those value statements i can well, share. well i think that's for everybody to decide yeah, great so not a direct question thank you yes. thank you i'm Rhetorical. gonna successfully dodge that like i would dodge a wrench um but i i do think there comes a point and we have reached that point in our gaming journey i certainly have in mine i think you have as well in yours where we want to play games and if, if, if I'm not going to play a game, it goes on a trade list and maybe I'll get a different game that, that I want to play. And that's okay. Um, the tipping point for me as we were getting review copies in and I couldn't keep up was just, man, I, I bought four different versions of this game and I only played one of them, but they, they've got to go. And so there is... Where it goes from collecting to playing is consuming. I mean, there, there's a part of the hobby where, for me personally, it's not okay to just consume games like like it's drinking water. Um, so that's, I don't know if I'm making any sense or if I'm just ranting. A um, little bit of neither. No, I mean, I, I think there's a situation where, in some ways, it you have to take a long look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And and really ask some tough questions about the games that you have, you know, and there is the idea of is it relevant rhetorical question? Is it relevant? Do you have to, does a game have to be played x number of times to stay in a collection? Yeah. You know, and I think the the three things that I think I've battled with are are these three areas. Doug's big 3, <laughs> which is 
holding on, holding on to games for sentimental reasons. So I have some games in my collection that I may never play again. Yeah. But because the experience I had the first time I played it or the one time that I got it to the table was so strong that that memory lives when I look at it on the on my shelf. You know, and that's justified for me, rightly or wrongly, but it's like I loved the experiment experience I had with that game. End of question. I could play it one one time a year. I may never play it again, but it it meant something to me. Um the other thing is where I get stuck with, and I think I've gotten better at, is am I holding on to a game for hypothetical reasons? For potential? Yeah. For poten- the, the, that, I, that's my biggest one. The idea yeah. of like, if I happen to have four people that have never played a game before that are over at my house and it's 1030 at night and we've all had Sprite for dinner... This game would be perfect. You have Sprite for dinner? Yeah. And <laughs> you know if, what I mean? The, if I had a convention in my basement and I had three different groups that were playing games at the same time, this game will work out really well. When, when all my kids are in their middle teens and they all love fantasy Dungeons and Dragons, we can play this eight-month campaign game. You should and, keep that. And it's like... Don't that, trade that. That might not Don't happen. Don't sell that. Don't <laughs> donate that. I did sell that game. Um you know, but holding on to that is like, oh, this will be great when my kids are five years older from now. You know, that those type of things. Like, if my dad and my brother are ever here and my brother-in-law comes up, we would all love this game. Yeah. And it's like, does that warrant sitting on a shelf? Well, Maybe. <laughs> I, I, for me, what this really touches on is control. As a kid, I collected baseball cards and, and, and then got in, you know, basketball and football. But... And, and I had control over my collection and don't crease the corners. And then I got into shoes as I got into being a teenager and board games give me that similar level of control that I think it can be dangerous personally, because um, do I really have control? You know what I mean? If somebody yeah. that's where, Oh no, somebody played in the condition of the box. That's where it can go to the extreme. Um, but I know there, I, I've, found something with gaming that I can't explain. I'm like, okay, I have to talk to my family and spouse about this because I'm a sucker for games that involve asymmetrical powers or win conditions. For some irrational reason in my head, it's like, oh, but then that's going to get played multiple times because there's so many different characters. And in actuality, it just means that the game is more complicated, so it's probably not actually going to get played. Yeah. Right? And when I look out into my collection... That's something that I see in common right now where I have these 15 games that probably won't get played because the characters, no two characters are actually similar. The reason why I bought them is the reason that's preventing them from getting to the table. And I don't know how common that is. Maybe that's just the gamer. Well, I think think it falls under that hypothetical thing. It's like the potential. It's like if everybody learns this game and they are familiar with every character – and we can interchange, and then everybody can, you know, would just randomly choose a character, and everybody's off to the races. That's yep. awesome. What are all the steps to get there is a whole different story. Um, I mean, I've also felt eh, not as much, but the idea too is if I if I back something on Kickstarter, yeah, I have play a, it. I have a harder time of saying, or or even if I play it, and it's like I don't know if I really like that, but it's like, but I backed it, and I got the Kickstarter version, and should i or 
or the idea of of what if somebody else, like what if everybody else in your family or everybody else in your game group loves a game and you hate it? Yeah, it's like, do you keep that one? No, <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. It, you know, get, get, trade it, trade it to the game group, gift it. But if it, your whole do, family loved it, then I keep it. Then you're keeping they're my family, it. not. Yeah. My, but my game group's not my family. No, you know what I mean. Well, I uh, consider you that, but I guess yeah, not. Yeah, but not legally. Okay, <laughs> and um, it's such. I mean, think about the topic we are talking about. This is a really weird part of the hobby. Yeah. So people who are new, if you're listening for the first time. Um, just wait, because if you've got the bug, eventually you will have shelves and spaces and rooms and rooms within rooms that are filled with cardboard and boxes, and you'll be wondering what to do with all of them. Maybe not, but it's pretty common for people in the hobby. Um, the I think the thing that we are talking about in 2023, though, we have both made a concerted effort going back a few months to play the games that we have yeah, and to enjoy the games that we have. And that is part of the School of Gaming segment that I think that listeners will notice throughout the next several months. You're going to hear games from 2015, 2017, 2019, 2021, 2021, 2021, 2021, because there's so many games that I still haven't played that I own from 2021. So um, that that's where I'm at with yeah. it. Am I still going to purchase new games? Yes, I like to play games. Do I hope that my purchases are greatly reduced over the next six months from the last six months? Yes. Yeah. I think what it comes down to is if you've got games, play them. If you've got games that you aren't playing, know why you're not playing them and and be okay with that. Yeah. Either it's a time to move on from that game and be honest with yourself or embrace and own the fact that no, this is a collection, and I like having this game in my collection. Like, there are some games well, that I'm don't like... Don't you think both can be true? Oh, I, that, think they're, I think yeah. it is. I think if you've got your games, yeah. play what you have. Nothing wrong with acquiring new ones. And the ones that are not getting played, I think just look at them and then own why you have them. Yeah. Whether that's being honest and saying, no, I should probably... Like, I really don't need this. Or owning and saying, I want this as part of my collection, whether it's sentimentality or it's like, I feel like this is a great game for the hobby. I just want to have it right. for whatever reason, you know? Well, and I'm very curious about the framework that our listeners use to get rid of games, to yeah. discard, to trade, to sell. What is your process for going through that? Do you have a, a, a number that you're committed to? What Do you have... Uh, um, because people can get very, very carried, not carried away, but have elaborate rubrics and things like that, yeah. right? And that's something that I'm interested in personally. So I, I'd love to hear more about what people do and how they make that decision. Yeah, I think it's about being conscious of the decisions that you're making and why you have what you have and just being a little bit more conscientious about what we're acquiring and bringing yeah, in. Yeah, but right? I'm actually saying something different. I'm saying... I'm out of space. I have, you know, let, put a number, make a number up. 50 games, 15% of a collection, but whatever X number of games that I don't know if I should keep or not. How do people go through that process of yeah, I think it's making the next that step decision? Is, what, what are people actually doing? Because I know what I'm doing right now, but I would like to hear what others are doing to compare and to learn. This yeah. is an area, this, 
I'm not an expert in this area. Yeah. I am learning. I'm open for trades. I am selling to Noble Knight. I, I or trading to Noble Knight for credit. I mean, those are things that I'm I'm currently doing, right? And my and my game group and family changes over time too. This is something I will continue to do. So I'm yeah. interested to hear the process that people go through. I kind of have a if I haven't touched it in a year, and if I'm not going to touch it in this next year. It should probably leave my house. And I don't know if that's the best rule, but that's no, my but current I, rule. But I think, and that's the point, is that you're being conscientious about mm-hmm. the games in your collection and why they're there. Um, so hopefully that's been of, of some value. If you need a helpline, we'll work on getting that up and running. You, know, you ever pick a game <laughs> off the shelf and just see dust and, and have a feeling of shame? <laughs> like, oh, we'll get what to is this doing? We'll get, we'll get to that. That'll okay. be a high five in the next couple of weeks of... <laughs> <laughs> the longest games that have been on your shelf that have not oh, been played. Oh, all right. Foreshadow. All right. Let's move on to the, oh, geez, we're already at the high five. This episode's <laughs> flying by. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week, we reveal our high five games from 2022 that we still want to play. Um, and these are games, I don't know about you, Michael, but I did a caveat. These are games that I actually own that are in my collection that I would like to get to because I've already made the investment of buying that game. Correct. And I did know that coming in because I, we either text or talked to confirm. And also when I discovered one of my games was from 2020. So I also made this similar note. I have a couple more than five because I brought five categories. So I'm going to spice this up a little bit. I, I don't have 12 games, but I have five to seven. We'll see how, how this goes. But. All right. I've got uh, <laughs> funny. I'm looking at my run sheet and this spell check in there is kind of funny uh, of the way that it corrected one of my games. But that Are is you going to share that with our listeners I, or is it inappropriate? No, no it is. Uh, I will share it, but it's in my honorable mentions. Got it, so. got it. All right, Michael, what do you got number five? So my fifth category is games in which I've read the rules multiple times over multiple <laughs> months and never actually played. Ooh, and this cool. is Before the Guests Arrive. The designer is Sashi. The artist is Takako Takari. And, and it's published by Sashi and Sashi. When we reviewed uh, Get On Board... For episode 86 in September, I went on a huge Sashi binge and suddenly wanted to play all these different games. So I picked up a copy of Before the Guests Arrive, which you are trying to pick up objects in your, you're trying to tidy up in your house. And like the baby and grandma and grandpa can only pick up one object, but the boy and the family, it's an alternative universe where kids actually pick up stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you, and more than one thing. Yeah. And the cards are interlocking like a staircase. So you, you're picking up these different items and trying to get little hand management, 15 minute game. Theoretically, I, I should be able to play this three nights a week. Like it's sleeping Queens or another are game, the, but are my family. Rules are so easy. The rules are in Japanese. That's why you've read it several no, times. Japanese ending. It's a really, I don't know. There's no reason why I haven't played this game yet. Uh, so that's one that I, I don't know much more about it other than I can read the rules to you and read the, the flavor text from BGG in my sleep. Uh, but that's one that I'm really hoping to play here uh, in the next couple of weeks or months. Sounds, it sounds good. I, it's I'm been on our family shelf since September, Doc. So it's it's been in the living room for a while. It's yep. got a lot of potential. <laughs> a ton of potential. <laughs> All right. My number five is uh, from our boy, Phil Walker Harding, uh, from Blue Orange Games. This is Museum Suspects. Um, it's one that I have that 
Uh, it's a, a, a deduction game in which you are uh, looking at information on the board, trying to gather clues about who the suspect is, and then you are leaving markers on the different spaces. So those markers are going to potentially give you points at the end of the game if you're correct, or they might be making it more difficult for other players to look at yeah. that item. And so that adds another level of, did he put a high number on there because it's a really good clue or is he throwing me off? You haven't played this yet. I huh? haven't played it yet. And it's so economical. It was such an economical game that I was like, I got to get this. And it was on one of my Gen Con or Essen lists yep, of yep. looking forward to it and just haven't gotten it to the table. And I think it has a similar issue to my number four, which I'll, I'll get to then. Because there's a there's a thread of games that I have on my shelves that do not get played. Um, They're tweener games almost. It's like in between your game group. No, and game but it's a, it's a specific genre okay. of game that uh, okay. I love that just never gets to the table. Uh, well, we'll so. have to work on that. All right, what do you got for number four? Yeah, number number four category is games in which I'm most likely to play this weekend all by myself, and this <laughs> is a role or. Or also known as a roll and write in my house, uh, Dice Hospital ER, designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert, mm. published by Alley Cat Games, one to six players. It's a 20 to 30 minute game in the Dice Hospital universe, which I think was designed by Stan Kordonsky, but I should have looked that up before hopping on a podcast and saying that confidently. So I probably have that wrong. But in Dice Hospital ER, it's a, a roll and write. Um, so we're going to flip cards, and I'm assuming – I haven't played it. It's it's on my next up shelf. Um, I'm assuming you're knocking out some awesome combinations because Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert also did uh, Guild of Merchant Explorers, which was one of my top games. I had it at third or fourth of game from 2022. And I, I love what they do. And, and Doug, it's in a tiny box. If this thing works, I'm taking it to the game group on Monday. So that's part of my, my motivation to, to get it to the table uh, because I, I like what they do. Small boxes, easy rules, roll and write. So, again, I'm, I'm really hopeful that I come back with an update next week. But there's also a 30% chance that it doesn't get played this year. So, mm. <laughs> sorry. Okay. sorry. No, that's all right. Um did you kickstart that? Was that a Kickstarter or, um, or very a long pledge? story short? I backed a game called Autobahn, which has a complexity of four point three six. So that God. that's a game. I, I just got a headache. I, I don't know if I'll ever play it. And I added this in. I actually one of the reasons why I went through with the the backing. I had a one dollar pledge on Autobahn was to add in uh, dice uh, dice hospital ER, and there was one other alley cat game. Um, mm. So. That's that's the backstory on on that one. Okay. <laughs> Aren't you glad you asked? Yes, I am. Uh, my number four is Decorum uh, by Floodgate Games. Designers Charlie Mackin, Harry Mackin, and Drew Tenenbaum. Um, Decorum is a a game in which you have a, a house that you are trying to decorate, and everybody has their own kind of quirks of what they would like. Um, so there are different kind of pieces that go in a house that may fit into a different style. They may be modern or vintage. They may be a certain color that you want it to be. So maybe I have a card that says, I only want this room to have, you know, the bathroom needs to be all blue. I don't care what style it is. You can mix and match it. But as long as the stuff in the bathroom is blue and there is kind of a passive aggressive where somebody tries to. And so you're trying to meet everybody's objectives at once without communicating with each other. And the only thing you can really say is, yeah, I don't really like that there um, mm. type of a thing. And so 
This falls into the same thing with museum suspects and in a way is that there are, I have a lot of deduction games that do not get to the table. Yeah. And I love deduction games. You do. But it's, I don't like, I don't know if, I don't know why they're so hard for me to get to the table. Some people, I guess, just don't like them. Can I ask you a personal question? Yes. Does your wife like deduction games? I don't know. My wife loves them. Um, so maybe I'll drop Emmy <laughs> off over here for a three-hour uh, deduction game game time. You know, I've got I've got from a long time ago a game Mystery Express, and it's yep. like kind of a the a great version of Clue without the roll and move and hope that you get into the room type of thing. It's just like I love playing it. Nobody really likes playing it. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I've got a lot of those games, and Decorum is one of them that I'm excited to play. I want to try it, but finding the right group or the right oh, people just to play have it. to make it happen. So that's my number four, Decorum. Interesting. My number three is in expansion games, and that's Everdell, the complete collection. We talked about Everdell in episode 100. Uh, if you want to listen to more, but I just got the complete collection in a few months ago. And not only are there a few different solo versions, but I haven't actually played the expansions. So mm. I've I've owned Everdell in the past, but I haven't. There's a Pearlbrook and Spirecrest, and now there's two other, you know, Nightfall, Mistwood. I hope those are the right titles, but I'm hoping to get those games played as well. So that's my, my number three is in the category is expansion games, and I'm including the entire Everdell complete collection in there. Sure, that sounds good. I'm on board. Sign me up for that. Cool. Uh, my number three is Power Plants. It's a Kickstarter oh, yeah. that came in at the end of the year, so I haven't had. A, this is not one that I've been longingly staring at for a long time, but I still do want to play it. Um, it's by Kids Table Board Gaming, and Adam E. Dalton is a designer. Uh, Power Plants is a game where you are. Uh, I think you have three different types of, of plant tokens in front of you, and you are choosing to play one down onto the board. Everybody, the, the board is kind of growing. And when you play that, that token or that piece, you are deciding whether to activate that piece or all of the pieces that it's touching. And they have different abilities depending on whether which one you're choosing. So Sure. Um, Say this is not a plant in the game, but say one of them was a dandelion. You know, a dandelion has ability when you're playing that as a sole action, and a dandelion has a different ability if it's that secondary one because you place next to it. So um, it's got some cool things in there. It's kind of an abstracty type game that I'm normally not a huge fan of abstract games, but it has enough uh, that kind of almost reminds me of some of that like a calico level sure. of abstract or Cascadia Reef. type of thing where you're just like, yes, I am technically putting salmon down, but I don't really feel like I'm you know, yeah. building the wilderness type of it's thing. It's more puzzly. Yeah. So that is my number three, Power Plants. Yeah, I look forward to playing that one. I, I love what Kids Table Board Games is doing and has done, and we, we've covered a lot of their work, haven't we? Yes, we have. So my number, these next two categories are kind of, one's a direct shot at me, one's a direct shot at Doug, oh. uh, but the direct shot at me will come first. <laughs> this category <laughs> is... to save the, the kill shot for the end, huh? Yes. Games I got for Christmas that I don't know when I'll find the right time or companion to play with and we'll try to play before 2025 and this is undaunted stalingrad i got this as a christmas gift it's a two-player 
um, war game, and, and the designer is Tre- it's the same duo that I talked about with War Chess, but Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson, um, and in a daunted Stalingrad, it, it's a two-player um, war game. But when a piece is taken out, it disappears from the table. And I, I, when I got this as a gift, I was so excited. There's, and it just arrived uh, a few days ago. There's a ton in this box mm. for a two-player. I, w- I was shocked at what came. Well, it's in a it. legacy game too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can play um, like a full campaign. It, it, it's a campaign game. Yeah. you're not destroying anything. Yeah. and so you know, with legacy games, sometimes you're ripping up and tearing up. But if so, if a piece gets taken out, it's removed and put in the box and doesn't come back in the battle for future. Uh, yeah. campaigns so that's one thematically that, accurate yeah yeah it looks great it, the buzz in all the the podcast spheres i mean it has been on fire so i'm it, it, from a collection piece oh it's nice to look at on the shelf but i i really want to play i don't know where i'm going to find that other person i yeah. can't get my 13 year old i can't get my wife if we bring it over here i okay let's hope for a blizzard um <laughs> so that's that's one that's on my list from 2022 that I will be wondering how long it's going to stay on my want to playlist. So yeah, all right, cool. Um, my number two is Star Wars: The Clone Wars uh, by Z-Man Games and Alexander Ortlafa. This is the the pandemic version of of Star Wars with the the Clone Wars theme on it, and it has the has it shares some DNA with Pandemic, but yeah. not a ton. You know the the basic round structure of the way that bad guys come out is very similar, but you're not trying to collect cards the same oh. way that you are with Pandemic. You kind of have your array of abilities, and then depending on how you use them um, for your actions and so cards are not resources. Uh, I would no, they or... stay they stay with you. Okay. The, and the, like if you take damage, you're losing cards instead of. But it's not it's not a situation of I need to collect all the red ones in order to cure this disease. You need to have, you know, somebody may if you're trying to attack a villain, they might have certain symbols that you need to roll or activate in order to get rid of them. But it's much more frequently than the one time cure type of thing. So yeah. it's got it's got a theme I like. It's got uh, the bones of a game system that I like, um, and I think it. Is looks pretty cool to having a lot of uh, avoiding some of those alpha gamer yeah. problems. Well, so, I can't wait to try that one. So Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Great. Sorry to talk over you, nope. but I've been excited to try that, and I see it behind the shelf. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to play that game soon. So my last category is titled Two Games I Will Probably Never Play With Doug. Um, the first one is called Free Radicals, designed by Nathan Wool and published by WizKids. I said earlier, I am a sucker for asymmetric games and always have been. Uh, so we're, we're, you know... Each person has an ability, a different ability, or possibly different win condition. Two to five players, and it looks awesome 45 to 90 minutes but here's why i don't think i'll get it played with doug it the the weight is 2.67 i'm on board what and and there's 10 different characters to choose from and i feel like 
we have 25 other games right now that we'd want to play, but this is a game I'm hope I got to play with my kiddo. Um, the, the art and, and what you're trying to do in the game and some of the science and tech themes, but you're trying to free radicals in a post-utopian world. So it's not mm-hmm. an apocalyptic world. I, I got a uh, Rado, who's another, you know, obviously the, one of the big time pockets. He sold me on this game. He loved it so much. And I, I went out. This was an impulse buy early in the year. I'm, I'm owning my own stuff here. But it's one that I didn't get played. And it's one of those games where it's like, I've had this for six months and I haven't played it. What, what's wrong with me here? Well, that's just kind of where I'm at. So that's that's one. And the second one. And now, now go ahead. Full disclosure, I didn't even know you owned this game. <laughs> well, you got to come over more often. We got to <laughs> get to uh, Game Schooler Headquarters West a little um, bit more. You didn't know I had it, huh? No, I'm not opposed to this one. Oh, well, good. Well, this next one you will be opposed to because you slammed me as soon as I got it. This was a birthday gift, but <laughs> this is from Kinesia. <laughs> And that's called San Francisco by Dr. Reiner Knizia. Yeah, we had no um, interest in this one. Players take on the role of an urban planner, sold and build San Francisco. But Rebel Studios published it, and they, they did Dream Home, which is a family favorite. And obviously, the good doctor, uh, Reiner Knizia. Also a family favorite. Uh, also, <laughs> we love Reiner Knizia. He, he is. He, and and um, yeah, so this is one that I will get played on a rainy day. Uh, with my wife, we, we've been to San Francisco, and, and um, you know that has a special place in our heart and our marriage. And um, the the game got absolutely destroyed by critics and reviewers, and I'm okay with that, Doug. I, I think sometimes if a game gets panned, that makes me want to play it even more to form my own opinions. Uh, it looks beautiful. So, well, those are, those are, <laughs> I maybe shouldn't have ended my list on a, a downer, but uh, that's my high five of games of 2022. I actually brought six to the list here, or 10 if you want to count all the expansions, but so many good games to play. So, so Michael's list at the top was games he thinks he won't play with me. My number one is a game I refuse to play with Michael, even though he wants to play it. No, we we are a family friendly podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No way. Uh, my number one is Challengers. Oh, uh, yeah. Another game i got towards the end of last year uh, by z-man games the designers are johan krenner and marcus slawicek um challengers is a capture the flag style game with with kind of deck building throughout and you're going and how do you describe this you get a you have your deck of of your team and then you are playing cards out kind of like war yeah you know so there's not a lot of you're not you're randomly flipping you're shuffling your deck and randomly flipping over cards until you get enough cards to capture the flag and then your opponent goes and tries to do the same thing and when he beats you then the cards that you used the previous round then go on your bench and so you either win by your opponent running out of cards and you still have the flag or your opponent's bench fills up. Yeah, I've been wanting to play this game. So, I can't wait to play this game. So, and I, I, you know, some people love it. Some people have said, oh, there's no decisions making, but you're deck building in between every round yeah. to add new cards. And it's not a thing of like, uh, I like the idea of deck building without cost. So it's like you just draw cards from this deck and pick some and put them into your deck. You know, you don't have to say, oh, this one's more valuable. I got to save up money to get it. You're just getting new cards every time. And I think it's one of those situations where people are going to into this game with expectations 
about it that are not the game that it is. Yeah. Right. Like you're going in thinking it's a, you know, it's not catac- uh, it's not clank deck yeah. building game. It's a different type of game, and it's not meant to be a brain burner. It's well, and we've talked about in the fast past, and fun. Right. Randomness can turn some folks off. Right. Yeah. And I really yep. like randomness in my games. So uh, that is uh, my number one challengers. Uh, Michael, you said you've got a list of honorable mentions or other things oh, that you no, left out. Just a ton of thoughts. I think that we have, and I know you've got some honorable mention, but no crossover. And it'll be interesting to see how this list goes with next year when we do it. If we're being more intentional and discriminating and in getting games, or if we just continue to get a ton of games, like yeah, it's an interesting list to look back and to think about. Uh, what do you have for honorable mention? Well, I think, and just to put yeah. a button on that one, I think it's a situation where this list will always exist of because we're not going to play all 3,000 games that come out in a year. However, it's doubtful. The, the, question, yeah, the question is, is it uh, games that we already have? Yeah. You know, is that, can we still keep pulling a list of games that we have? Yeah. Next year. Um, so the games that are uh, on my honorable mention were Paint the Roses, which again falls under that deduction. deduction. It's a cooperative deduction. Uh, Clank Catacombs, uh, which is a, a version of Clank in which the map is kind of building itself. Uh, Star Wars Villainous, which is a version of Villainous uh, just based on theme. I'd like to get that one to the table. And then thank you, Spell Correction, for turning Namiji which is a uh, spinoff of Tokaido uh, into Namibia, the African country of Namibia. So <laughs> those are my um, honorable mentions of, of games that I have that I still want to get to the table. It's awesome. So before we leave, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, if you subscribe, you will get notified every time a new podcast is released. So that is why you should subscribe to a podcast. Uh, and if you like what we're doing, go and whatever platform you listen to, go and, and leave us a review, preferably a five-star if you think we've deserved it or earned it. Um, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GameSchoolerU. And lastly, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. It, it was an hour this time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Now get out there and keep gaming.